You're listening to the podcast of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joining God's pursuit of restoring lives. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. As I was thinking about Easter as being truly, and you look at the calendar uh, for 2,000 years that this date is the closest date that we have to the actual dated resurrection of Jesus. And, and so if you think of Easter as Resurrection Day, as you think of it then as the most important day if you're a Christian, if you confess that Jesus is Lord, it's the most important day in the, in the human calendar. Because it was at a time where everything changed. If you're a Christian, that's, that's the confession that Jesus is Lord. And, he, and we know He's Lord because He didn't stay dead. And so that becomes the most pivotal moment in history where everything, even in the past, changed. Because obviously a God who's not bound by time can change the past. And then everything in the future changes. And that means everything in the present has to change. And I was thinking about Easter and resurrection I got to thinking about a friend of mine, friend of mine named Ben. Ben and I have been friends for a few years now, and though we're about 20 to 25 years apart in age, we've traveled some of the same roads together. We've ended up where we are. It was almost as if my life is a reflection of his. Like me, when Ben was younger, he was prone to living a wild life that included drugs and alcohol. And I think that's what connected us together, these sort of shared experiences, but now at that moment, a couple of years ago when this meeting happened, in my mid-30s and he in his mid-60s, our lives at that moment were very different. Ben grew up in Boston to a devoutly Christian home, and as he got older, one too many negative experiences with Christians and with the church pushed him away from all things that had to do with God. And he hasn't stepped foot in a church building in 40 years, and if you asked Ben, he would tell you he's not a Christian. And frankly, he's told me more than one occasion, he doesn't like Christians very much. And each, each week, Ben and I would grab a cup of coffee together, and we would talk about life in general. Now, we, we never talked about two things, politics and religion. And for several weeks, I began noticing over our cups of coffee, that he had this sad disposition, and he just looked really depressed. And so one day while drinking coffee, I asked Ben, what was going on? And each week that I would pull in through his driveway to pick him up, I would say, look, I've noticed that your wife, Jackie, I noticed she doesn't even wave bye to us anymore. What's happening? At that point, Ben began to open up to me. His marriage of 40 years was strained and in trouble, and all he and Jackie seemed to do is just fuss and fight. And it seems as though their fights always have something to do with their grown children. Their daughter's addicted to drugs and can't take care of the three children that are her own. Their son, who's actually the oldest, keeps bouncing from job to job and from friend's house to friend's house, occasionally landing on their couch. And he just told me, finally had enough, and he's just started to feel depressed. Now you add that on top of the fact that Ben is a deep thinker, and as a retired army man, he cares deeply about our country. 
And he's a bit prone to anxiety as it is, and he's found himself at this moment being, un, being overwhelmed at the wars and at the plight of the economy and at politics and, and at all of the different things going on in our country. But then he watches the news daily to stay on top of the events of the world, and it's the threat of more war and the threat of terror that seems to be too much for him to bear. And, and then he would tell me how he sees children, much like his grandchildren, who are given over to circumstances that are not their own, and he hears about addiction and all of the hellish things in, a, in, in our world that he just cannot seem to take it. And, and then he sees death. His mother died of cancer two years ago at that moment, and, and his friend had died of a stroke just a year ago. And, and so then death, like a thief, has just come to steal all the things that he loves, and he was just overwhelmed. And then he asked me a question that he's never asked me before. He said, Fred, you're a Christian. So why does God allow these things to happen? I mean, if God is really good, why does this world feel so much like hell? I said, I don't really know the answer to that question. At least I don't know the details or will have a sufficient answer for you, maybe. I I don't know if I'll have that. I said, but I have an idea I do have an idea, and it's the best one that I've found to explain the world in a way that makes sense to me. And Ben said, well, then tell me, because your idea has to be better than the one I have, because I'm just ready to quit it all. I said, well, I think what God has done in the Bible is offered us a description of His intentions with the world. And what he's doing in it from the very beginning to the very end and even now. And I believe that his intentions include my life and yours. And all the things that we go through and wrestle with, especially the hellish and unjust and unfair things. And and Ben sat back and he said, are you talking about the Bible? And I said, yeah talking about the Bible. And he just kind of rolled his eyes at me. And he said, all right. He said, let me have it because it's been years since I've talked about the Bible. Tell me about that stuff. And so this is what I said to Ben or something like it. So the story of Scripture puts it like this. It all began with God. And God made everything we see and even the things that we can't see. And he made the world to be his home, a a, a place sort of like a, a temple palace. A temple because God would live there and a palace because God is king. And then God looked around at this beautiful world that you could call a a temple palace and he said it's not good yet. And so he made the very first people so he could share his temple palace, his world with them. And he gave them a beautiful garden in the world to live in, and he gave them a job to do. And the job was really quite simple. Love each other with all they had, care for God's good world, his temple palace, and and rule it under his behalf. But they didn't. They didn't like doing things God's way and not theirs. They thought they could do a better job. And so they listened to the devil who tempted them and and took what wasn't theirs and they tried to rule the world their own way and in essence, they tried to be God. And so the very first people had to leave the garden and they had to leave 
the presence of God. And sadly, without God, they began to die. Fear and violence began to sweep through God's good world as rebellion against God's love increased. But God never gave up on His people. He still loved them. And He promised to renew them and restore them. And He promised that He would make it right so that they could share life with Him again. But everyone who's ever lived from the very first people all the way to you and me now, have all gone the same way. We've all taken what isn't ours. We've all tried to do things our own way. And in reality, everyone lived as though they believed they knew how to live life better than the God who created it. And Scripture goes on to tell us that things kept getting worse. Rebellion against God increased Rebellion against this love led to more fear and more violence and more pain and more death. But God had a plan. And God chose a man named Abraham. And he gave Abraham children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren. And he promised Abraham that he would make Abraham's family into a great nation and he'd call it Israel. And, and Abraham trusted God. And so God fulfilled his plan to Abraham and he made all of his children and his children's children and his children's children's children a great nation. And indeed, he called them Israel. And God then made Israel his chosen people. Now, his chosen people, he called them that because they were chosen by him to join him in bringing hope and love and renewal and restoration to the world. God would use them to demonstrate his life and his love and his holiness through them so that all the world would see that he really is God. And God went with Israel everywhere they went. But a great famine came through the land. And so God had to lead his people into protection, and so he led them to Egypt. And there they had the land of plenty and provision until many, many years later, even generations, Egypt decided to take God's people and make them slaves and oppress them. And God heard their cry, and he rescued them. He delivered them and he gave them a home. And when God finally gave Israel a home, he gave them a job to do. And the job was not any different than what the job had ever been. The job was to love each other with all they've got and to join him in what he's doing to show the world what, it's looked like, what it looks like when God is king. And so God gave Israel priests to teach him how to love him. And God gave them laws to teach them how to love each other. And, and God told us, people, if you'll follow me, if you'll trust me, you'll live a blessed life. And you can join me in renewing and restoring all that's been made wrong in this world and make it right. But Israel didn't listen. They didn't want to do things God's way. They didn't want God telling them how to live. They wanted to do things their own way, just like the very first people, just like us. Eventually, God's people realized that ultimately they didn't want God to be their king. They looked around at all the other nations and they had kings, so they wanted a king too. So they cried out to God and said, give us a king, a person just like us. And God was patient with them and he gave them a king. And then another king. And then another king. And some kings were faithful and good, like King David, and, and some just were not. And mostly the kings did whatever they wanted. They could handle the wealth and the power. And so they chose to rule God's people the way they wanted to rule God's people. 
and rule God's people for themselves, and they, they tried to be little gods. And rebellion grew against God and His love, and that led to more fear and more violence and more death. But God wasn't giving up on His people. God sent them prophets, prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Micah and Amos, to tell the kings and their people that there is one true God and therefore one true king. And this true king would be the chosen one, their Messiah. And he'll be the one true king that they actually need, but the kings and the people wouldn't listen, and so they killed the prophets because they didn't like what the prophets had to say about them or about God. And so Israel had to leave their home, just like the very first people did in the beginning. And other nations came and conquered Israel and carried Israel off by force, and Israel lost everything. And then there was silence. For 400 years, no one heard a peep from God. Until something brand new happened. And what happened was exactly what the prophets were trying to tell God's people all along. God sent someone, a person just like us, yet different. God Himself would come to us, into the world, into the earth, into humanity, in the person of Jesus. And Jesus would be the chosen one, His Messiah. But not only to rescue Israel, but to renew and restore the world and embody God's love to put skin on hope and life and peace. And so Jesus did good wherever He went. He healed people and He fed people. He rescued people from all sorts of problems brought on by generations of rebellion rebellion and sin and violence and death. And Jesus taught that liars, thieves, whores, and those struggling to believe can all be welcomed into God's kingdom. And that is to say that they can all be welcomed into a relationship with God where they can enjoy His redemption and love and peace. And if they would just turn around from the way of life they were living and trust Jesus and follow His way. And Jesus taught that the rich and that the poor and that the powerless and the abhorred, we could all be welcomed into a relationship with God where they could enjoy God's redemption, love, and peace if they would just turn around from living life their way and trust Jesus and follow His way. Jesus taught that the widow and the child, the religious elite and the left out, the immigrant and the thief, and the, the racist and those considered the least of all could be welcomed into God's life, into relationship with Him where they could enjoy God's love and peace and redemption if they would just turn around from living life their own way and turn toward living life Jesus' way. Jesus did everything God wanted. And He loved everyone as God loved and showed all of us what life looks like when Jesus is God of life. Jesus taught that no matter what anyone had done and no matter where anyone had been and no matter what other people may have thought of you, God wasn't through with you yet. But sadly, some had decided that they were through with God and through with that message. Some had decided that they wanted nothing to do with Jesus and the people that were rallying around them and they didn't want to share a table with the people that Jesus hung out with. 
And ultimately, they just didn't want Jesus to be their king. They, like some of us, didn't want Jesus to be Lord of their lives. They didn't want God to tell them the best way to live. Now, some people trusted Jesus and followed him as king, but most people did not. They didn't want him as king, and they didn't want the kind of kingdom he would bring. So one day, some powerful people, some political and religious people of power decided that they'd better put a stop to Jesus before he took their power away. So they arrested Jesus, and they stripped him naked, and they placed a crown of thorns on his head, and they nailed him to a cross, and they watched him die, as if to say, Where is your king now? And Jesus didn't fight back. He didn't raise a sword. He didn't even raise his voice. Jesus taught everyone to love their enemies, and that is exactly what Jesus did down to his last breath. And so the people against Jesus thought they had won. And they thought they had beaten this Jesus, who some believed to be God's chosen one, God's Messiah and King. But there was something no one completely understood, not even those who trusted Jesus. They didn't know that Jesus died not because he had to, but because he chose to. They didn't know that like all of us, they deserved to be separated from God forever for all the times we have all gone our own way and decided we didn't want to live our lives with God and as a result, in our rebellion, ruined God's good world. They didn't know that Jesus' arrest was really a divine surrender. They didn't know that Jesus' cross would become his crown. They didn't know that Jesus' death would become his life and ours. They didn't know that the one true king had come and given his life for the world so that we could overcome the sin and death in the world. They didn't know that Jesus on the cross was God's way of saving us from ourselves because in ourselves we're locked, stock, and barrel under sin and death. They didn't know. Do you know? Do you know? See, but then God, the one who made the world and rescued Israel and sent Jesus, God, God's love in Jesus Christ was way too powerful. God's love in Jesus Christ couldn't be held by a tomb. God's love in Jesus Christ couldn't be held by a grave. God, God raised Jesus from the dead that first Easter morning. And Jesus didn't just rise from the dead to impress people. In his resurrection, Jesus defeated death, showed that God and Jesus had the power over death, and death would no longer have power over any of us. And in his resurrection, Jesus proved that he really is God in the flesh, and that what he had talked about concerning life could be trusted because it was real, no matter how different or how absurd or how crazy it seemed to those around. What Jesus said about life is true. And in Jesus, God proved to the world that he was really the king we needed. A king we needed who will love us and forgive us and change everyone who comes to him. 
And in the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, God was absolutely going to make right what had been completely made wrong because of rebellion and violence and fear and death. See, in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, God showed us what the world should have looked like all along and what the world will look like in the future. And that should change the now. See, the resurrection of Jesus, God is actually making all things new. He's in the process of it. And because He's risen, we know His process of making all things new will come to completion. And not even death, not even cancer, will have the final word over the resurrection of Jesus. In the resurrection of Jesus, God speaks what is true to those who believe. And he offers a message of truth, both in a promise and an invitation. And the promise is simple. That in the resurrected Jesus, we see life. See, Jesus was broken so you and I could be made whole. Jesus was reviled so you and I could actually be restored. Jesus was rejected so you and I could be redeemed. Jesus took on death so we could actually shed death one day and take on life. Jesus accepted hatred, even our own hatred, so we could be accepted by God and know His love. Jesus was denied by all people so you and I would never be denied by God. Jesus was forsaken by God so you and I could always trust that despite our feelings, we will never be forsaken. It's because of the life Jesus lived and the death on the cross and the truth of his resurrection, Christians for 2,000 years have shared the one major confession that is of three of the most important words you will ever, ever say, and that is, Jesus is Lord. And when we love others, when we love others, we take on the job that God's called us to do. See, what God wanted to do is he told the people, he said, for those of you who then confess that Jesus is Lord, you have a job to do. This isn't just about you. I want you to go love each other with all you've got. And I want you to love others with all you've got. Because when you love them in a way with all your strength, with all your heart, and you pursue faithfulness and love, then you show the world what God's love looks like. And I remember seeing Ben, and he was leaning forward on the table. And he just was staring in the middle of nowhere, and frankly, I thought maybe I just bored him to death. And I looked at him, and I said, Ben, from now on, the world is still broken. We feel it. The world is still waiting to fully be renewed and restored. We feel that. Because of Jesus and His life and His death and His resurrection, God has promised us at the end of this book that someday our King is coming back to rescue and share His home with us again. Exactly like God intended in the beginning. And when that time comes, never again will anyone take what isn't theirs. Never again will anyone be able to ruin God's 
good world. When Jesus comes again, never again will all the things that hurt us hurt us. Never again will we speak of fear and violence and death and betrayal and addiction and disease. Never again will any relationships be broken. And never again will any of us be tempted to be little gods because we will live fully and completely in the presence of God face to face. And those of us who take that vision of the world seriously know that it's that vision of the world that should change how we live now. We should live in light of the fact that that's going to come. And so in your disease, we won't let you be alone. In your addiction, we will wrestle for your hearts. And when everybody else wants to marginalize you, God's people should be there. Because God can always be found in those broken places. And as the very last words of the Bible says about human life and God's intentions with it, in Revelation 22, verse 5, it says, Night will be no more, and they won't need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will shine on them, and they will rule. See, it's been there all along, forever and always. I remember Ben's response. He was leaning up, and then he, leaned back and he crossed his arms and he nodded his head and he breathed in and he said I've never heard that before and I waited for a response and it was crickets (laughs) it was just silence And so we sat there and finished our cups of coffee in the quiet. And see, what I shared with you today, what I shared with my friend Ben then, is what the church has been sharing for 2,000 years because Jesus is risen. See, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1, he said, Now, brothers, I want to clarify for you the gospel. See, the gospel is an announcement of good news. It's an announcement. He says, I want to clarify for you the gospel I proclaim to you. You have received it and have taken your stand on it. And you are also saved by it if you hold to the message I proclaim to you. Unless you believe for no purpose. For I passed on to you as most important what I also received. That Christ died for our sins according to the scripture. See, that's why we have to tell the story. And that he was buried. And he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And that... He was seen by Peter, then by the twelve, then he was seen by over 500 brothers at one time. Most of them are still living, but some have died. Then he was seen by James, then by all the apostles. Last of all, he was seen by me. And Paul goes on to say, so if I preach to you, are the other apostles preach to you? We all preach the same thing, and this is what you believed. The gospel is this, Jesus is Lord, and anybody's welcome into his life. I don't know where you've been. Now, I don't know what all you've done. And frankly, it doesn't matter what I know or don't know. I know where I've been, and I know where I've come from. I know what I've done. 
And I know that I've lived a good part of my life on my own terms. Experienced a, a life of, and all the consequences that came along with it. I mean, don't get me wrong. I said I believed in God. And I said I believed in Jesus. I went to church every week, twice on Sunday, and once a week on Wednesday nights. But Jesus wasn't my Lord. I still loved my neighbor how I wanted to, based on the color of their skin or how they looked and how they acted. I still loved my girlfriend the way I wanted to, based on what I felt. I still party. I still did the things. I didn't want Jesus as Lord of my life. You know, everybody's a Christian when the plane's going down, right? I, I just knew that I could get my, I could, I could get my get out of hell free card if everything went south on a brother. But I knew, I knew that I didn't really want Jesus as Lord of my life. I just didn't until one day it hit me, and I mean it hit me because I was raised right, and this is what it was: if God created life. then he knows best how it works. And I just needed to decide whether or not I was going to keep trusting my way of life and how I felt like life worked or whether I was just simply going to trust him. Sherry, can I see your iPhone? You know, let's say that the engineer of Apple who, if this happened, I'm sure it wasn't just one, but let's just say, that the engineer of Apple came and he's the one or she's the one who designed the phone and who with his or her own two hands put the first prototype together and is standing right here. But here I am with my phone and Robin's with me and we're trying to figure out how the phone works. You know, I've used it before and I can figure it out sometimes. I mean, I've used it. I mean, it's functioned at times. But for the most part, I mean, there's stuff in this phone that I don't understand. And there's, people tell me that there's more to this phone than just what I see. But, but I'm plugging around trying to figure out how this phone works. And I just can't. And the engineer says, excuse me, Fred, you know, I designed that phone. I soldered all the little pieces together. If you just give it to me, I can show you anything you want to know about that phone. And I'm like, no, 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 dude, I got this. I, you know, this is my third iPhone, man. I, I've got this. You know, and I'm, I'm still trying to figure the phone out. And so Robin's trying to figure. She's getting frustrated with me. I'm getting frustrated with her. We're getting frustrated at the phone. We're ready to toss the phone out. And finally, the engineer says, look, man, are you going to just, just give me the phone? And finally, finally, I just give him the phone. See, that's the crazy thing about us. God created life, but we're like, oh, I got this. I, I've got it. I've got it. I've got it figured out. I know, I mean, I know there's more to it, and I got a purpose and all that. I get all, but I'm, you know, I'm doing all right as it is. You know, I've got some things going. And God's like, look, I created you. I know best how you work. But your people, God, your people are just jacked up. The church, everything about it is just messed up. I don't want anything about it. And God's like, I know. No, but I mean, he's like, I know. Because he's like, I know you. And you went to church every Sunday, twice, and on Wednesday nights, and I know you. What we find out is we're all messed up, and we all need a Messiah. 
But what we all have to do is choose whether or not we're just going to try and figure life out on our own or let him help us figure it out. Or better yet, just let him figure it out for us and then trust him. And the way he figured it out for us is in the life of Jesus. Jesus' life shows us what life looks like. And his resurrection shows us where life is headed. Not too long ago, I was visiting a young woman as she lay in hospice. And her body was losing its battle with a terrible disease. And she lived a good part of her life away from the Lord, but came to a place where she trusted that Jesus is the crucified and risen God and the Lord of all. And I had the privilege of baptizing her. As I sat next to her, her body tattered by the injustice of this world we call sickness and death. I asked her how she was doing in her heart. And with half-open eyes, she looked at me, and with a faint smile, she whispered, I'm okay. I am ready. And I looked at her, and with tears in my eyes, I said to her what Easter tells us to be true. And I do remember what I said to her word for word, and some of you know I said, as your body gives way to death, you are much closer to life than I am right now. Because you will soon be with our Lord Jesus. And all the sickness and tears and pain and all this injustice and, injustice and brokenness will all go away and will never again come to you. Amen. And in her joy, she began to weep. And I know it was her joy. And she said, again, I'm ready. I began to weep too, but I'll be honest with you, I don't know if it was joy or confusion. But what I do know is that when Jesus has risen and He is Lord of my life and yours, we can come to our end and say things like that. No longer must we remain lost. We can live in light. No longer must we feel dead inside, but we can be made alive. No longer must we be blind, but we can begin to see. And no longer must we feel suffocated by life anxiety, but because of Jesus' resurrection, we can find the strength to breathe. I mean, no longer must we remain broken, but we can be healed. We don't have to remain numb as we follow Jesus and just continue on the journey. We will begin to feel no longer... Must we remain stained by the sins of our past? We can be made pure. And we don't have to remain weak all of our lives because Christ is risen. We have all the strength we need to endure. See, on Easter, all of God's people proclaim that Jesus is our way. He is our light. Jesus is always true, and he will always be there to give us light. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. He will always be our peace. And Jesus is our Savior. We need nothing more. He is our Lord. And I want to tell you, if you're here, and Jesus isn't your Lord, that if I, if I, who am a sinful man, is capable of love, of loving my wife and loving my son, I want you to imagine Jesus, who is love incarnate. He is love embodied. And I want you to imagine how much he loves you. 
And he wishes you to be redeemed and restored much more than you wish to be redeemed and restored. And you may wonder if your sins can be forgiven, but he wishes to forgive your sins more than you wish your sins to be forgiven. You may wonder if your heart can find healing. I can tell you, he wishes that your heart find healing more than you wish to be healed. You may wonder if you'll ever find peace and joy. And I know that Jesus is risen. He wishes to give you more peace and more joy than you could ever want for peace and joy. And I know that he desires for you to know him and to be with him in glory more than you ever could even come close to desiring to be with him and to be with him in glory. And I know this because I know he's love, because I know he is Jesus and he is Lord and he couldn't stay dead. He is risen and his kingdom is given to all of us for all who will repent, for all who will turn around away from our old way of life and turn to him and believe he will be our Lord.